Sometimes uh, something small can have a big impact. If you could take your two fingers and just show me what's the size, thickness of a match. A match, how, how thick, how? Match can be pretty small, but if you place a match in the proper environment, it can have a significant impact. It can set a forest ablaze. Today we're going to talk about a small act that's going to have a big impact. We're going to have two examples of this small act, what seems like a small act, display a big impact. Rebecca read a passage of scripture for us in, in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36 said one of the Pharisees asked him to eat, and Jesus is sitting with the Pharisee, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, a woman of the city who was a sinner, a woman from the road, a woman from the strip, a woman from the area that you know most people shouldn't go. When a phrase from the city, he's setting the context that this sister was of a profession that most women would be embarrassed of. And when she learned he was at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. She is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And answered, say it, teacher, a, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, sister, your sins are forgiven. We don't know exactly what brought this sister on. We don't know the journey that she took to get to Jesus. We don't know everything that happened beforehand. We know two things. Thing number one is she had a past that was kind of jacked up. She had a past where everybody could see her more failure. She had a Will Smith moment <laughs> where the whole world knew exactly what you just did. And the whole world pointed their finger. The whole world has a sense of disdain. These Pharisees are looking at her and saying, uh-oh, this Jesus. I'm going to keep it PG in here, but they kind of said, if, 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 if he knew where her mouth had been, 
He wouldn't let her kiss on him. You see the, the type of environment that they're in. This, these Pharisees are looking at Jesus as if he is a fool and looking at this woman as if she is foolish. But I love Jesus' posture. I love that Jesus is without sin. You and I would have been in that situation and somebody would have been like, oh, you don't know? And our pride would have swallowed up. What you mean I don't know? I know exactly who she... He doesn't even acknowledge their put-downs. What he does is elevate her actions. He lifts her up. He says, you see what she's done? She's done three things. She's washed my feet. She's anointed me with this costly ointment, this ointment that should have been sold to be able to care for a year's wages. She's living a lifestyle, barely making it because of the style, because of what she's in. So she should have sold this to get ahead, but instead she uses it for praise. She uses it for worship, and then she uses what she has. She uses her lips to adore her king. You know, that old school kind of uh, uh, method of kings would put their hands out and have their servants kind of kiss a ring to show that they were beneath them. No, no, no. This isn't that type of this isn't that type of approach. This is an approach where you are actually showing how much you adore someone. And so all I can do before you is kiss you. Kiss you to show that you're loved. Kiss you to show that you are celebrated. Kiss you to show that you are adored. And her kiss, it models her heart. Her kiss, it models her posture. Her kiss models her submission. And her kiss brings forth an amazing response of Jesus. He doesn't say, and today you are blessed with money. He doesn't say, and today, I'm going to give you a new profession. He looks at her, and because she was willing to bow down, use even the tears from her eyes and the lips on her face to adore him with a kiss, she then went on to experience forgiveness. Forgiveness. I, I, I marvel at this story that's laid here because it, it's something in, encouraging for us and also difficult for us. How many of us, when we feel like we are at our worst, at our ugliest, at our most humiliating moment, we got people around us talking about us, dogging us, and we feel like we are at our wit's end, that we lean in closer to Jesus. See, Kiss him in the midst of these others that when she started walking up the road said, where's she coming from? I know she ain't coming in here. She gets to Jesus and knows what they're thinking, actually has ears to hear what they're saying, and she gets to him and responds in worship and allows her kiss to model her desire for forgiveness and this God, this Jesus grants it. But when you get your forgiveness granted, it can start a fire. 
It starts a fire within her, of course, because she is now forgiven, but it'll start a fire within the society because who are you to forgive? Who are you to forgive? Wait, wait, wait. That's something that's set aside for God and God alone. God alone is the one who forgives. And so now these Pharisees are angry. These Pharisees are mad. These Pharisees are, how dare you claim what only God can claim? So what's the response when you try to imitate our God? Death. And so the plot begins, and so the conniving begins, and so the scene begins where now we have a group of people that want to see Jesus dead. Because after all, he's claiming to be God. We had one small act, a kiss, lead towards a major response of forgiveness. I want to show you another, another act, small maybe, but it leads towards a line of actions. Look with me in Luke chapter 22. We get to see another act, another kiss, a second kiss, but this kiss actually doesn't have the same posture. This kiss doesn't lead to forgiveness in the same way, although we may end up there. Luke chapter 22, there's a plot to kill Jesus uh, because after all, he's claiming to be God. And the disciples are now kind of in this upper room area and Jesus is telling them, hey, I need you to do something to remember me. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. I need you to drink this wine and take this bread. And Jesus goes away to this, this place to pray. And in verse 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is asking the Father for strength to carry out his will. Give me the strength to still do what is going to be the most difficult thing I've had to do thus far. And then we begin to learn about our brother Judas. Yeah, we don't like to say that, but Judas is created in God's image. And even though he's a betrayer, he is still our brother. And some of us have some brothers that have done some crazy stuff. Oh, y'all don't want to tell on y'all brothers right now. That's okay. Some of us got some family members that have done some things we're a bit embarrassed of. Judas loved money. Judas loved funds. And Judas was committed to finances. Be careful what you make your idol. You might sell your soul for it. In Luke chapter 22, verse 47 through 53, we get a scene of, of how Judas in, interacts with Jesus. Verse 47 says, while he was speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he drew near to Jesus to kiss him to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike him with a sword? 
Matthew records it as saying, hey, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. So we had a sister who seems like she's on the outskirts, seems like she has no reason to be near Jesus coming and weeping and washing his feet, and she's crying, and now she kisses Jesus' feet, and it brings forth forgiveness. But now we have a man that's close to Jesus, been walking with Jesus, but has a way different heart posture. On the outside, looks like he should be perfect, but on the inside, a betrayer. And he kisses Jesus. And then we get a series of events that almost bring us to tears. Event number one that comes from this, this kiss. It's found in, continuing in Luke chapter 23, we're in six, verse 63. It says, now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. See, Judas's kiss actually starts this road for Jesus, this big impact, this firestorm of painful events is about to take place from Judas's kiss. It says, they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Jesus' kiss sets up an, an innocent man. It sets up a man who had done nothing wrong. Look with us in verse 57. Then they had seized Jesus and led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. So Judas sets him up, kisses him to identify who he is. Jesus gets beaten. He gets set up. False witnesses coming forward. And then in verse 65, it said, Then the high priest tore his robe and said, This man has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face, struck him, and slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is it that struck you? Series of events keep unfolding. This painful road that Jesus is on started with a kiss from Judas. Jesus then gets mocked. In chapter 23, he says, uh, in verse 28, he says, uh, verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. To crucify him. 
There are uh, years when we used to do a, a um, Stations of the Cross, and at each station you had kind of a different experience. Uh, this was back in the day when some of our folks remember us being at the, at the Waldorf where we were worshiping there, and we had a, a, a crown of thorns for you to see. And it was a replica. It's made up. But I've tried to look in here at some of y'all's fingers, and nobody's finger, I don't think, is longer than mine, but we would almost need two fingers to symbolize the length of the thorns on this crown. And imagine that, placed on your head, then beaten down. All because of a betrayer marked you with a kiss. Verse 26, and as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. A great multitude of people. Why? Why are people following Jesus right now? Why are so many people crying in the streets? Because it's a death march. Because they know that march to the cross, that crucifixion ending point, is one of death. And so people are following him in the streets, sobbing, wailing, because they know Jesus' utter end and it all started from a kiss. But look what happens. In, in verse 32, because even though these situations have happened to Jesus and even though he goes through something more devastating than any of us can imagine, the outcome may still be for our good. Verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucified. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. To crucify them means that they were attached to the cross with an inability to get down. They took nails and drove them through their ankles, nails and drove it through their wrist, through their hands. Verse 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed against him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And we indeed justly for what we are receiving, the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in where? Paradise. This kiss from Judas starts this ripple effect of pain that Christ will experience. This plot to take Jesus' life from a crown of thorns to him being beaten, to him being whipped, to him being innocently having all of his rights taken away. All of those things still lead to a place of forgiveness. An unlikely place, a place where no one imagined that forgiveness would be experienced when Jesus is on the cross and extended to someone else on a cross. You see, sometimes what is intended for bad ends up being used for good. We've heard that story. We look back in in Genesis. But here we get that story again where where we have Satan working through Judas and he thinks that he's winning. Let me go ahead and kiss Jesus and see his utter demise. But no, what does it do? It brings forth forgiveness yet again. See, one kiss came from the heart. It came from a place of worship and adoration. Another came from an evil motivation, but God still turned it and used it for good. Family, we get to see modeled here. We get to see uh, Jesus take this walk, experience this pain, all so that we could be forgiven. It's a statement that's not a one-time thing. You know how sometimes when you're at home and somebody says, all right, hey, y'all, come and eat. Come and eat is not just like, okay, and you will never eat again. It's a continual action. You will continue to return to that table. Every mama knows and every daddy knows and every auntie and uncle knows that meal will con- you will continue to need to provide food. And here we have him say, forgive them for they know not what they do. That forgiving is continual. Why? Because we keep hurting God. We keep committing acts where we deserve to experience death. But God saw fit to intervene on our behalf by dying for us so we could be forgiven. It's a bleak reality. It's a dark reality because our, in the story at this moment, our, our amazing uh, uh, believers of the faith who are walking with Jesus were struggling. They were struggling because they saw 
the one who was going to be there, everything, go through the most horrendous act you could ever imagine. And now he gives up his life. Look with me in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out in a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He breathed his last. Family, the disciples, the women who come to worship and celebrate Jesus, this entire crew of people following him in the streets are now broken hearted. Because their Savior seems to have died. The one who was going to bring in the new revolution has died. The one who was going to see us rejoice in God and experience forgiveness for eternity is now breathless. That weight, that heaviness is what the disciples and all those who were followers of Christ were carrying at that moment. And unlike most sermons where when I end, I want you to be excited about the joy you have in Jesus because I don't care what we go through, we always have a reason to experience the joy of the Lord. Because even in our worst situations, he is with us. But today I want you to enter into the experience of the disciples the feeling of utter mental chaos, the feeling of utter sadness, the feeling of disappointment, the feeling of not knowing what comes next. And so as you leave today, I want to ask humbly that you not leave in the spirit that we usually do, of hugging each other and smiling and laughing and hanging out. Actually, I want to ask that you you leave in silence, to leave quiet, because that is the way the, the, the disciples walked into this situation, as if their very breath had been stolen from them because their Savior no longer was living. Father, be with our people as they go in peace. Let the weight and the gravity of Jesus' death on the cross be with us until Sunday when we get a chance to worship you again. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please, as you go, go in silence.